Welcome back, everyone. This is Ryan Selkis. You're listening to another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I discuss key industry trends with crypto's top investors, builders, and thinkers. Just a reminder, Masari is much more than a podcast company. So if you're an industry professional or crypto investor, head over to masari.io and check out Masari Pro, our crypto toolkit that offers best-in-class research, advanced screening, and charting tools to keep you ahead of the investing curve, plus a new enterprise alerts tool. We're also hosting the industry's largest virtual event, the Mainnet, this June 1st through 3rd, with over 50 hours of programming, 100 confirmed speakers, and virtual networking that's so seamless, you'll feel like you're actually there. 50% of the profits are heading to COVID relief, so go reserve your spot today at mainnet.com. Dot events. That's masari.io for pro research and tools and mainnet.events for the best virtual event you'll attend this year. With that, strap in for another episode. Going to be a good one. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's Unqualified Opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download LucaTax at Luca with two K's, tax.com, and save money this tax season. This episode is brought to you by Bitstamp, the original crypto exchange. 2011 is a long time. This is their third Bitcoin halving, and Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors all along the way. 4 million customers, including top financial institutions worldwide, use Bitstamp. Check them out because they've got some serious professional-grade trading technology, including a matching engine from NASDAQ, some of the best APIs in the industry, and TradeView, their advanced trading interface includes live charting and deep analytical tools that are available on web and mobile. Bitstamp also delivers unmatched customer service, no robots, real live people around the clock via phone, email, and social media if you have issues, but you won't. Join over 4 million traders, download the Bitstamp app from the App Store and Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to get started. That's bitstamp.net slash pro, and they're hooking you up with a discount for Masari Pro as well using promo code Bitstamp. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why Crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new Crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the 3.5% credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and additional 10% back on groceries. So download the Crypto.com app today. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiot. Got another special episode today, a timely one, given everything's going on in the world in DeFi. Probably talk about the most systematically important man in DeFi right now. Talk about Hugh Carp, who's the founder of Nexus Mutual, an insurance company for DeFi protocols, an insurance protocol for DeFi protocols. Um, Hugh, thank you for joining. I know uh, you've been my my white whale 
for this podcast because we've had a couple false starts because of technical difficulties. So we're going to knock on wood and hopefully the third time is a charm here. And you know what? Sometimes things work out for a reason. And uh, it's probably better that we're having this conversation a couple months late because you've been very busy and the DeFi ecosystem has been extremely busy warding off attack after attack or protocol flaw after protocol flaw, depending on how you would define it. Um, so why don't we, why don't we start, um, for those that don't know Nexus, just to, kind of the, your background, how you, how you got into crypto and, and, and ultimately what about kind of your journey led you to um, create this insurance um, protocol and, and service for this emerging DeFi economy? Yeah, cool. No, thanks. Great to be here, Ryan. Thanks for eventually got there after a few false, false starts. Um, yeah, and it, I guess in terms of my background, I'm, a, I'm an insurance person by background, been doing insurance for quite a while, um, 15 years or something, trained as an actuary. I don't code, um, have coded in the past. Um, so, yeah, um, that's, that's kind of my very quick background. Got interested in crypto a while back with Bitcoin, Went down the rabbit hole like you know everyone else did, I guess. Found it fascinating, um, but then I, I kind of put it down because I didn't really know what to personally do with it. it. I found it interesting, but I couldn't. I didn't really know what to do with payments because they weren't kind of my thing, really. Um, and um, and so, yeah, so I put it down and left to kind of the space for a while. Um, I guess then Ethereum came along, and um, that piqued my interest again because. Um, it's even much more extensible, and um, you could do many more things with it. And I guess if you could write. And if then statement, then you could effectively turn that into an insurance contract. And so um, it was kind of putting my expertise with, I guess, a passion for the kind of crypto space together. And that's kind of what started Nexus. Um, I guess Nexus is really just a way of coordinating people into a group and allowing them to kind of share risk together, which is basically what insurance is when you boil it down to the absolute basics. Um, it's kind of what insurance started as like millennia ago as communities just pulling together risk and the elders of the community deciding on claims and stuff like that. So it's, um, it's a very old concept, but we can kind of, um, now we have a kind of new tech that we can apply to it and, and kind of pull it all together. So, so that's, that's in essence what Nexus is about. But yeah, as you, um, alluded to, uh, I guess our first product is covering hacks in, um, in solidity code or DeFi smart contracts mainly. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's been a bit, been a bit busy over the last few, few months. Mm -hmm. Um, and can you just explain, um, the, you know, so let's talk about, first of all, there's been half a dozen hacks this year, the Nexus, uh, uh, product, how, how exactly does it work and what are the, um, specific, uh, coverage areas and constraints on coverage that you're offering for for protocol teams um, and 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 their end investors. Yeah, exactly. So um, we offer so smart contract cover is the um, is the name of the product. It's probably more better described right now as solidity cover um, to be a bit more precise. Um, we started. We, we built the product initially because we saw things like the DAO hack or the parity multi-seq wallet issues and we, we thought that this was a risk to, to cover. Um, and so basically we cover against hacks or unintended code usage that leads to financial loss. Um, and so we kind of specifically exclude stuff that happens outside the smart contracts, whether that be like 
governance attacks or oracle attacks, which is obviously relevant, um, and, um, and, and other things um, like that that happen outside. But if there's a bug in the Solidity code, that's what we cover. We, mm-hmm. we, we decided to start there because it was a simple product that, we could um, that we thought was managing a key risk um, in the community, um, but obviously over the last few months, um, weird and wonderful things have started happening, um, and um, I guess we're also looking to at ways we can expand that coverage in the future to um, to help more people um, op- like interact with smart contracts and and feel safe in doing so. Um, that's easier said than done. Uh, so the, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, with these, with these flaws, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different moving pieces, but what you t- t- typically see in insurance, not just in crypto, but in general is the, um, the disputes happen in the gray areas, right. And, and, and kind of definitions around, um, where exactly the coverage is and, and what, what type of vulnerability there is in this case or, or what type of, you know, uh, insurable event occurs uh, that, that dictates whether or not you're covered. Can you walk through some of the examples uh, in terms of more recently how your users have, have benefited or, or if they've even been paid out? Because in some cases, these hackers have actually returned funds to, you know, corrupted, you know, protocols. Yeah. Um, so it's probably, I guess I'll go through a couple of the recent ones and, 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 um, and what happened with Nexus. So the kind of the first real events that, that hit us um, this year, I guess, with the BZX um, hacks um, or events or whatever you want to call them. Um, and so there were, there were actually two events um, two days apart there. The first one, um, the first one we, we actually paid out the claims for, um, and, um, that was our first claims paid ever, which was, was great for us to prove that the system kind of works. Um, the, the reason and the main, um, the actual trigger for that, it was a combination of a whole bunch of things happening and flash loans, arbitrage trades, a whole bunch of things together. But the, the real trigger about why we actually paid out was there was actually a check in the smart contracts that was supposed to trigger, that was intended to trigger, but it actually um, was effectively bypassed and it allowed a under collateralized position to end up in BZX. Um, so, we, so we paid out as a result of that. This, the second kind of attack um, or whatever you want to call it was a essentially an arbitrage trade where the, uni, the Uniswap oracles were effectively manipulated um, and by, um, by doing it like a pump and dump thing via a flash loan. And so, um, we didn't pay out on that. Um, the smart contracts operated as intended. Essentially it was an economic design flaw, um, in the, in the BZX system. Um, so, we, so we didn't pay out on that one. Um, the other, the other, I guess the other bigger one that's happened recently is the maker, um, maker Dow kind of black Thursday events where, um, some people's CDPs or vaults got um, liquidated for zero funds, or, and and essentially the, the main issues there were we hit a period of um, a massive price drop, triggered a whole bunch of things happening, congestion on the network because lots of people trying to do transactions at the same time, and that triggered some um, auctions as a result of the liquidations on Maker, and effectively because the the people bidding on the auctions couldn't get their transactions through or they were bots and they didn't respond to the high gas prices. Um, mm-hmm. the, the auctions got effectively collateral was bought for zero and lots of people lost all their money. Um, and well, several people lost all their money, I guess. And, um, and once again, those, those, those claims are actually declined as well. 
um, because the the Solidity Code and everything act as intended, but these were outside events, outside the Solidity Code. So uh, I think um, obviously we'd like to provide more meaningful coverage for people operating with these systems because the intention is to cover against weird and wonderful hacks. Um, but I guess the other point I'd like to raise is every single vote, because we have a voting mechanism to determine if the claim is valid or not. And every single vote on all of these events were, were a very high consensus with Nexus. So there wasn't kind of a dispute as to whether the claim was valid or not. There was definitely noise and big discussions in the Discord, but the actual votes were over 99% one way or another. Either if it was an accept or a decline, they were all kind of pretty much agreed. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it, it was kind of a good test of our system. And we, I guess we also learned a lot throughout the whole process. How much are you guys insuring right now in total? Um, a, bit, a bit over 3 million um, US um, is, is, being, is being covered. Um, so yeah, we, the, we've sold, sold more than that over time, but current outstanding is about 3 million. You know, what, what's interesting, um, I think you're one of the first major projects um, to have employed this continuous token model. Um, talk, let's, let's talk about that because um, there is hypothetically unlimited um, supply for Nexus, right? The, the more the Nexus Mutual um, smart contracts secure and, and, and insure across the different applications, the larger the supply could be. Uh, but at the same time, you want to incentivize early backers and 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 you know early early capital that's that's actually feeding this insurance pool. Um, so, first of all, let's talk about the continuous model number one, and which projects, if if any, um, had inspired you or, or that you'd borrowed from as as you thought about this uh, potential path, and then we can maybe get into the the nitty gritty of um, how you how you went about thinking of the um, initial parameters, right? Because so often in, in crypto protocols, the initial parameters that you use will make or break the early results of the system, right? But then you also need to leave room for changing and tweaking levers over time, or at least having a process in place to change those, whether it's you know unilaterally to start or, or, or through some community governance mechanism. Um, so first part of the question then is, is let's, let's talk about continuous token models to begin with and, and, and some of the initial design decisions you made. Yeah, cool. So um, I guess very broadly, what Nexus is essentially a DAO. So it holds money on chain um, in, a non, in a non-custodial fashion. And that's and that's a pool where everyone pays the the cover amounts into the, the, the you know costs to cover, and also where we pay the claims from, um, and it's kind of jointly owned by the the DAO members. So it's kind of the, the um, broad structure, and then there's a token that sits on top to kind of govern the mechanics and incentive mechanisms. So that's just broadly how it works. Um, in terms of why we decided to do the continuous token model, it it was basically because um, capital efficiency is like a massive part of insurance. And you need to have enough capital to be confident that you can pay all legitimate claims, but you don't want too much because then you're just sitting on dead capital and it's not being put to use. And and so if we go to one extreme and like an ICO type approach where you raise a whole bunch of capital at the start and sell a fixed number of tokens and there can never be any more, then you're going to have way too much capital at the start and not enough capital when potentially you grow and get and get bigger it's going to be very hard to bootstrap that um so so we needed some way of being able to start small 
and grow over over time. Um, and so that kind of led to the the token model that we that we have. Um, I guess the other key factor is we also wanted people to be able to um, buy in and, and ca cash out. Like we wanted to be able to dynamically um, distribute and um, raise capital as the the mutual needed. For example, if we had a few large claims, then we wanted the token price to go down to encourage more people to kind of recapitalize the pool. And if we if we didn't, and the mutual started generating surpluses, then we wanted an ability for people to kind of cash out, so destroy their tokens and get some money back and bring the capitalization levels back down to something reasonable. So we wanted kind of two mechanics: one, this long term ability to grow grow capital over time. Um, and to the kind of calibration on the short-term metrics um, about the funding position, so solvency position in, in insurance terms. Um, and so those are the two metrics that, um, that, we, that, we do, that we needed. And essentially that's pretty much how the, the token model um, works. So then I guess to your second question, like how do you actually parameterize that in the first place um, and, and calibrate it? Um, the the first thing we basically have two factors two kind of fixed constants in there um that we said at the start um they can be upgraded via governance but um hopefully they're okay but you know i'm sure they're about right but maybe they need, do need tweaking at some point um the the two and the two kind of things that we wanted there is we wanted when we started and launched nexus we started with no money in the dow and so we needed to get up to a a minimum level of funds in the DAO to kind of start off and cover. So we had something in case there were early claims. And so what we did was we calibrated the one factor so that the starting price was 20% lower than the price where we wanted to go live essentially. So that was just kind of a, a fixed factor, which mm -hmm. is not that interesting, but that's how we set it. Um, the, the second factor is probably more important and that's kind of the shape of the curve. Um, and basically there's a there's definitely a lot of art in that one and some science um but the science comes from what we know from insurance company valuations there's the rate of basically startups versus big insurance companies and so we did a lot of modeling in terms of um we know that a startup is going to um have a higher ratio of effectively the market cap to the assets in the pool versus a big insurance company, which is going to have a, a lower um, ratio of their market cap to their assets that they hold because of growth expectations, basically. Um, and so we used what we knew there and um, tried to fit it to um, work all those kind of situations. So th there is, um, there's definitely a bit of um, research and, and background on it. Um, we are one of the first to kind of do this. So, um, you know, I'm sure we might need to tweak it as we go, but that, that's kind of how we did it in the first, in the first instance. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've paid out uh, a couple of claims right now, but not much, right? So, so how is the um, how is the how are the reserves, the premiums, invested over time? Yeah, so so right now they um, basically most nearly all of our funds are just held in ETH right now, um, and we haven't. Um, basically enabled the kind of the investment side of the mutual. That's, that's a key part of what insurance companies need to do to, to be competitive. Um, Especially in a zero interest rate, negative interest rate environment. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's absolutely critical and we know that. Um, and we've built the kind of system to be able to hold any ERC-20 um, and we do intend to um, invest. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right assets 
for the pool. For example, if we were to put money in compound in a lending pool and we're also covering compound, if compound actually went down, we'd have to pay claims and we'd lose our own assets. So um, we, that's not necessarily the best use of um, our capital. We have to be a bit more conservative than that. Um, and so I guess a couple of the options that are going to, that are on the horizon, um, I guess is ETH 2.0 staking um, is potentially a really good one for us. Um, mm-hmm. because it's kind of not correlated to the, to the risks that we're riding, um, but allows us to earn some return. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's unqualified opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download LucaTax at Luca with two Ks, tax.com and save money this tax season. This episode is brought to you by Bitstamp, the original crypto exchange. 2011 is a long time. This is their third Bitcoin halving, and Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors all along the way. Four million customers, including top financial institutions worldwide, use Bitstamp. Check them out because they've got some serious professional-grade trading technology, including a matching engine from NASDAQ, some of the best APIs in the industry, and TradeView, their advanced trading interface includes live charting and deep analytical tools that are available on web and mobile. Bitstamp also delivers unmatched customer service, no robots, real live people around the clock via phone, email, and social media if you have issues, but you won't. Join over 4 million traders, download the Bitstamp app from the App Store and Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to get started. That's bitstamp.net slash pro, and they're hooking you up with a discount for Masari Pro as well using promo code Bitstamp. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why Crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new Crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the 3.5% credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and an additional 10% back on groceries. So download the Crypto.com app today. Now, how do you think about that in reality? Because um, at least early on, you know, so first of all, I'm sure you know some hardcore folks probably know this already. But Ethereum is migrating from proof of work to proof of stake. That proof of stake migration is going to gradually um, attract capital into a one-way um, staked uh, pool of, of assets. So you'll have operations still ongoing in the ETH one dot X. Uh, blockchain. But uh, as that back end uh, changes over, you're going to have a flood of, of, of ether to the dot, uh, 2.0 beacon chain. Um, that's not accessible for an application like Nexus, I'd imagine, right? So, yep. so there, there's, a, there's a certain degree of illiquidity that you need to take on. When you say that, um, you know, there's a couple things that I want to talk about with respect to ETH 2.0. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, um, is that something that you'll consider post 
you know, completion of, of this migration? Or, or are you thinking about the beacon chain and, 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 and committing some portion of, of your premiums to uh, 2.0 out of the gates? Because it, 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 you know, might offer a compelling return or just how you think about uh, long-term, you know, risk management versus having short-term reserves. What, what, what is the decision-making today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think it's possible that we could put a smaller amount in the beacon chain on, on the one way, given that there's not liquidity, but um, you wouldn't want to do too much at all. Um, however, we're, we're also expecting someone to tokenize this thing on an ERC-20 and make it tradable. Um, and so, and have a token that natively earns um, staking returns on the beacon chain. Um, and it, you know, it, it traded a bit of a discount or something like that, but, um, but basically we're expecting that type of process to come up. Um, but we wouldn't be putting any like material amount of Nexus funds into 2.0 staking until it either got to the two way, you know, the full implementation or there's this tokenized version of the, of the staking returns that's, that's available. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of talk about composability, uh, on ETH 2.0 as well. Um, and, you know, essentially, you know, a good, good chunk of the, uh, quote unquote money Legos pitch is that a, a bunch of really young, excited, but smart developers are building all of these, uh, new protocols and, and, and kind of piecing them together. So you can have a fully, you know, decentralized, uh, financial ecosystem. The problem, as you've addressed, is security in that process. Mm-hmm. So Nexus, you could argue, is, is a, a primitive, uh, a, a critical check on, on that emerging ecosystem. And, and the premium sh- probably should be a bit higher, but that's exactly the, the niche you serve in. On the other hand, there's, there's just entire platform risk. Um, and with the migration ETH 2.0, if there are certain contracts that break or, or this composability um, in DeFi, uh, breaks down in, in, in you know, any respect. Uh, it could have a cascading effect on many of these other more complicated products that get built, not just today, but over the course of the next couple of years. Um, is, is that risk that you're currently thinking about insuring as well? or Because it's hard for me to wrap my head around because it's very meta if your entire platform is based on like Ethereum and Ethereum as an issue then I don't, uh, yep. maybe that's just game over or, or hitting the reset button. How, how do you think about that? Yeah. Um, that's kind of game over because we're on the platform as well. Going down with the ship. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like to, to be honest, like um, it, that's, if something like that happens, I mean, I have no idea, but it, you're probably discussing a hard fork at some point. Um but you know, I, well, I mean, it, you know, it, it, I, I think it's still uh, an interesting question because, you know, hypothetically, there are other blockchains, right? So, so the question yeah. isn't just is it game over for for Nexus? Is it is it this is a non-starter for Nexus? So we need to kind of move our support to another platform versus just you know we're out of business or or, or the concept doesn't work. I mean, yeah, I mean, we also have the option of just staying on ETH one point um, and covering mm-hmm. E2.0 stuff from mm-hmm. um, from the the proof of work um, shard, um, I guess until it gets hardened, we could we could be a late mover um, mm-hmm. um, more than anything, and perhaps that might make sense. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, I guess, but um, I mean, in terms of composability, it's it's an interesting point. Um, we've thought about it a lot. I'm not deep into the technicals on it, but um, but it is, it is something I worry about in terms of the the um the sharding and things and basically you know is there going to be like a DeFi shard where most of the stuff's on anyway and 
and maybe a gaming shard or, you know, I, I don't know, but, um, but maybe there's a, um, you know, more premium shards and, and less premium shards. Um, but I think, um, but the other thing that gives me a lot of hope is like things like, um, like optimistic rollups and stuff, which um, like layer two type solutions, which um, seem like they can, um, you know, if you've got the data availability on the main chain, then you can get a lot of scaling benefits um, there. So I'm, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not too worried about all that stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of smart people working on it that I'm sure are going to figure it out. It might take some time, but, um, but I'm sure it's going to be there. Um, we, we have to be a bit more um, careful and risk averse. And I guess, from our point of view, it's a whole bunch of new tech and every time you do something new, there's risk and whether or not we have a current product for it means we can build another product that that's helpful. So, um, so I guess it's all, it's an opportunity for us as well. And, um, so yeah, that's gotta be good. Which are uh, some of the projects that you've worked most closely with, uh, so far? Um, we've had, I mean, um, we currently currently have um, lots of people want cover on, and this I guess want cover on things like the learning protocols like Compound and DYDX and Ava, Ava and um, all those types of things. Um, in, in terms of, but we also have like specific projects that will come and want to buy cover on their own contracts to give their users some some comfort, um, like. People like um, Paraswap and and Total and um, Flexer and a few other um, a few other people. So um, yeah, it's it's a kind of getting a really good spread across a whole bunch of different things. And it's not just like the core DeFi stuff. There are other other projects out there um, that um, that are, that are quite interesting and things. So um, but yeah, and the, and the, that's better for us as well because the more spread the risks that we cover, the more diversified there we are, the better it is from really you know, insurance company point of view. So, you know, if, if someone's looking, uh, you know, today is uh, May, was it May 14th uh, that we're, we're recording this. If you look at something like DeFi Pulse, um, you'll see, you know, today there there's less than a billion dollars of, of total value locked. A good chunk of that is, is in Maker, about half of that's in Maker. Um, and then, you know, it falls off pretty significantly. So you're not talking about a, a, a massive total addressable market just yet. Uh, obviously, most people that are playing in the space are betting that the, the ecosystem as a whole is, is like 1993, 94 internet. Um, what, what are the metrics that, that you guys uh, track the closest? And, and, and how do you think about scaling Nexus given you are a... Um, uh, kind of one layer removed from the the, the baseline usage, uh, and really dependent on growing the, the total pool of assets that's being committed into DeFi. Yeah, so I mean, our, our basic metrics are just like amount of cover bought, amount of cover outstanding, and 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 that type of thing. So it's you know some pretty basic stuff. And and to be honest, like we've got a massive like even if. DeFi didn't really move from where it is now. We've we've still got a massive opportunity to kind of grow from where we are. Um, so we're only covering three million out of that billion, um, and that's and that's just the DeFi thing. Uh, but I, I guess um, more importantly, what what from my perspective, what we've actually built um, is a is a capital. It's like an underwriting capability and a capital coordination engine. And it, and it should be able to cover any risk, not just crypto risks, not just smart contract risks, but regular risks, earthquake, hurricane, um, whatever, um, in the, in the like regular world. Um, and so what, what our plan is, is that we've, we've got a product here that a community needs, 
Um, and that's a really good place to start, test, grow, iterate, um, and get some scale and get some meaning. But then, um, but then we can scale out and um, and cover any type of risk. We're not we're not just talking about crypto stuff here. Um, there are a whole bunch of underserved markets out there in the world, and um, and we can more easily access them in a basically much cheaper cost base um, that that regular insurance companies can't get to. So that's that's what we're really aiming for. Um. The, uh, the, the protocol, the, the work that's being done right now in, in DeFi is mostly uh, crypto asset to crypto asset. Um, do you think that's ultimately the lion's share of your addressable market? Um, or are you going to play an active role in the, um, the security token realm and, and kind of other regulated financial products going forward? Is that too um, far out? Because I mean, the here I, I understand the here and now is DeFi. I wonder if you think about that as like a test bed for a much bigger regulated, uh, you know, part of, of insurance, or, or if you're kind of hook, line, and sinker um, to to plug into these you know permissionless um, synthetic assets. So, um, so definitely um, crypto and token based stuff right now. Um, in terms of the, it's a bit of a different question. Like there's a question about how we have our platform and is it regulated? Um, and right now we're not regular. We're not an insurance company. We're what's called a discretionary mutual. Um, so we're kind of an alternative to insurance. That's, um, it's kind of, it's a existing structure in the UK and Australia and a few other jurisdictions. Um, but that, so there's, a, there's that type of question. Um, but then there's the, like what products and what, markets you go to after really native crypto stuff. Um, and, and so you can go to regular consumer stuff. You can go to natural catastrophe stuff. You can go into more financial CDS credit default swaps type stuff um, and a whole bunch of other things. And I guess our aim is to kind of have a, um, an ag agnostic base layer that can take any type of risk and then, allow others to kind of bring a particular risk. And if the mutual members want to cover it, then they can cover it. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Lloyd's of London where you, you know, you come along with your information. Um, I want this risk covered. And then the members go, yes or no, I'll put some uh, money behind it or not. Um, and, and if they do great, you make the sale and, and we cover the risk. So that's, that's the idea. And that's what we're going for. And that could mean regulated financial world. It could mean a whole bunch of other different things as well. Mm -hmm. Um, what, um, what keeps you up at night in DeFi more generally? A, a lot of people are trying to solve the security issues, the, um, the, the protocol audit issues, but as you layer more and more complexity onto these systems, um, there always seems like there's, you know, zero day bugs that could be discovered and exploited. And I wonder how many of them a project like Nexus can withstand at scale, right? Um, because it's almost, you could argue, it's almost a good thing that some of these uh, deficiencies have been hammered early and often, and nothing is really getting to, to uh, such scale that it becomes a black swan event that just sets this particular sector back by years, right? Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as, uh, as to say that these uh, black hats are serving a, a uh, doing a public service. But in the back of my mind, I kind of think that, right? I'm glad that uh, these teams are, are losing their money um, and that ironically, the blockchain is not that private. So a lot of them are actually figuring out who stole their shit. Um, 
but it, it seems to me that it's the best of both worlds right now, uh, provided you know customers are being made whole, users are being made whole, um, and um, and the, the the timing and scale of these hacks is um, so relatively small. As an insurance company, you know I wouldn't sleep at night as the industry got bigger, right? Because because then your your claims exposure you know just continues to to hike up. Um, Help me understand uh, why I'm wrong and, and why the, the the economic design of, of Nexus uh, keeps balance there so that you're not as susceptible to any blow-up risk in any one particular protocol, especially if it has outsized influence in that market. Yeah, I mean, we do, basically, we put capacity limits on the amount of cover we write on any particular one risk. That's that's it's as simple as that. We have a we have a depending on the size of the mutual and how much assets that mutual has, we have a percentage restriction. Twenty percent of the assets basically cannot be put at risk on any one particular system. Um, and so in that way, we kind of force some level of diversification. Um, and like if there was twenty, you know, if that means if you know three or four things go down at once, that's going to be pretty bad for us. Um, but three or four of the big things going down at once, that would be pretty bad for us. But um, but that's that's the kind of game um, the insurance is, is really in, diversification of risk. Um, so, yeah, look, um, I I mean, I tend to agree with you. There's We're kind of running before we can walk in a lot of ways, but, mm-hmm. um, but hopefully we are keeping it small enough scale so that um, it's not so bad um i kind of i kind of like the approach I, I i like the approach of teams being able to develop something get out there and test it in the real world as long as they stay within kind of limits and put mm-hmm. massive disclosures on stuff um you know that that means we can move faster and innovate a lot more quickly if you know if you have to go and get a fifty thousand dollar audit to release something small, which you don't know if it's going to get any adoption, then that puts, that's a pretty big barrier for a lot of teams. And so I think mm-hmm. that's one of the massive benefits we have um, is being able to innovate quickly. So we don't want to kind of kill that entirely, but um, but maybe we should put some limits on it. You know, have a um, Richard Burton calls it an economic alpha, and I, I like that term. Um, so yeah, th- things do things like that, and then step it up and increase the security as we go. Gotcha. Um, you come from the insurance industry, so I don't need to tell you how heavily regulated the space in general is. Um, how do you how do you engage, uh, if at all, with with regulators and help you know kind of educate them on the product that you're offering? Um, are there exemptions that you can fall under um, in general or in specific jurisdictions? How do you think about um, the jurisdiction of you know smart contract coverage? Uh, which which you know, really could stem from from anywhere, and um, and you don't necessarily want to be on the hook because some developer ends up in the U.S. Um, contributing to one of the open source you know uh, protocols, and you, you might even not might not even know their identity. Um, what what's your liability, and what are your processes um, for ensuring that this is sustainable, and you know you don't become captured and a centralized point of failure in, in, in an otherwise decentralized uh, apparatus. Yeah, I mean, look, we have um, we spent a lot of time on the regulatory side before we launched because we know, well, I know that insurance is one of the most regulated in- industries in the world. Um, I also knew that if we had to be regulated as an insurance company, then I wouldn't start the project because it was just a massive conflict of um, from a business point of view. Like, how am I supposed to do a global permissionless type system and get 
and then having to get regulated in every state when there's a 10 million min minimum regulatory capital requirement in every single jurisdiction and there are, I don't know, 50,000 DeFi users. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so, um, so basically we, we, we um, came across this model called, yeah, called that discretionary mutual. Um, it's in the UK. It's um, specifically unregulated. And the crux of it is that it's, it's not a contractual obligation to pay, which is what would make an insurance contract. Um, the members of the mutual um, have discretion over which claims are paid. Um, and these things operate in the real world today. And essentially what we've done is copy that structure and have it operate, um, do all its operations is effectively a DAO running on Ethereum. So what happens is if you want cover and if you want to get involved, then you, there is a KYC process. You actually join a UK company as a member. So it's a membership organization. Um, and then you are a member of Nexus Mutual and then you can um, do all of the things in the system. Um, so there is this kind of gating process. So yeah, we're not, we are not fully decentralized. I'd love to be, um, but we do have a few um, points that we, um, also from a system point of view that um, were technically very challenging to do on a fully decentralized basis to start with, but we're working to remove them over time. And, and basically, um, hopefully we get to a full full DAO, but um, that's that's the vision, but you know, there's some technical challenges to get there. So what's next? Uh, how, how, do you, uh, how do you think about the roadmap? Um, amidst, you know, especially all the uncertainty earlier this year with, with all these vulnerabilities. Uh, not sure if, you've, if, if that's really changed your focus or just kind of hardened your focus in some areas. Uh, what, what should people be on the lookout for from, uh, from Nexus throughout the rest of 2020? Yeah, basically we just, we've got a lot of feedback now on what's working with the product, what's, what's not quite working. Um, and so we're just tackling those head on, um, looking to um, widen the coverage um, to be, be more meaningful also changing some of the incentive mechanisms like a staking incentive mechanism and stuff um to make it work a bit better so we kind of think um my line on this is like i, th I believe we're directionally correct on a lot of this stuff but it was, it's complicated and you know now we've got some experience and so now we're going to adjust things to um, make it work a bit better so we'll spend the next um little while and um i guess it's been helpful these last few months you know, obviously stuff's going on, but it's been a bit quieter and we've been able to get our heads down and really kind of make some progress on the building side of things. Um, and so basically come up with changes to the products, enhancements, changes to the core platform um, and look to look to scale out the coverage and, and the mutual um, by the end of the year. That's, that's, uh, that's our main name. Awesome. Uh, how can people uh, get involved? Is this uh, something that's uh, geofenced in any uh, jurisdiction or, or, or is it possible to both acquire the token and, and participate in the mutual? Um, it's, it's open mostly. Um, there are about 20 jurisdictions that are restricted, um, mainly like um, the US and North Korea. Oh no, North Korea, US is actually open. Um, okay. but, um, but yeah, so there's, there, there are a few, uh, you know, AML type listings and that type of stuff, but um, yeah, but it's 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 hopefully as open as possible, and you can you can join as you wish. So just yeah, nexusmutual.io and go from there and get in down Discord and and follow us on Twitter, and that's um that's the best way to get started. Um, um, and what and what's your handle? My handle uh, it's at nexusmutual, and my handle's at Hugh Cup. Awesome. Well, Hugh, I'm excited to watch this uh, evolve. Uh, I think uh, it's one of the few uh, protocols that I've been following closely just as a, a personal investor. Um, but 
there are always conflicts whenever I uh, say that I'm going to invest in something uh, at Masari and I have to disclose it. And then there's whole mess that happens with my team in terms of communications. So um, it is very interesting. And I'm, I'm uh, thinking about dabbling a little bit more in DeFi after we get through this big event of ours in a few weeks here. And I have a little bit more mind space to, uh, to start going down the, the money Lego rabbit hole. Um, but for now, uh, really appreciate you joining us and, uh, and, and wish you the best of luck. For, for everyone else, uh, this has been the most recent installment of Unqualified Opinions. I'm 2BitIdiots on Twitter, and I have been under the gun getting ready for Mainnet 2020, our inaugural flagship events where we got 150 speakers, a couple thousand attendees expected, and 50% uh, of the profits will be going to COVID relief. Purely virtual, June 1st through 3rd. Hope to see you there. And hope to see everybody or connect with you um, via live chats at some point soon on another Unqualified Opinions podcast. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, until next time, peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot. If you want to continue the conversation or troll me, otherwise I'll see you next week. 